Now, think of BP, the oil company. You're all familiar with BP, aren't you? Can you picture its logo, what its logo looks like? Let's have it up on the screen, um, Eula, please. Well, there's a whole load of BP logos. Did you remember what the latest one is like? That 1989 one, I remember 1989. I don't know how many people here remember 1989. Some are a bit young for that, but most remember it. And I remember someone at the church I was at worked for BP, had his uh, headquarters in Hemel Hempstead. And uh, I remember him saying it cost them tens and tens of millions of pounds to change the logo in 1989. I remember being amazed by this. It's not much of a change, is it? It just slopes a little bit. Slightly adapted colours, tens and tens of millions of pounds. Well, actually, if you think about the number of signs and paperwork and all the things they'd have to change, yeah, it would cost a lot of money. Why spend so much money on just a slight adjustment to the logo? All that money on that, why? Because image matters. Thanks, Eula, we can remove that. Image matters. Firms spend millions because image affects whether you shop with them. Image affects our attitude to something. Do we avoid it or do we desire it? Affected by its image. Now, what's this got to do with? Three weeks ago, we started uh, a new series on the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments have an image problem. They have an image problem. What's the image of the Ten Commandments? Nasty, negative, restrictive, old, outdated, simplistic. Even the Bible seems to say some pretty negative things about the Ten Commandments. But we even read some pretty negative sounding things in Romans 7. As if the Christian has moved beyond them. The Ten Commandments have an image problem that means that we can avoid them instead of desiring them. So this evening, we've got another introduction before we get into the Ten Commandments. I'm hoping this is the last of the two introductions and then we'll get into them well, the week after Easter, God willing. And my aim is to give the Ten Commandments a better image, or, or in our mind, a better image in our mind, put it that way, to, to make us more positive about God's law, uh, to get us to appreciate the Ten Commandments through New Testament eyes. Last time was all about the law is good, and we got that from Exodus 19. Now I want to adjust that a little by looking from the New Testament to get us to appreciate the law, but this time through New Testament eyes. So let's do that using Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. Now, I'm not claiming I'm going to teach the meaning of Romans 7 tonight, let alone that hard bit at the end of the chapter. I'm not even going to get near saying, is that a Christian or not a Christian? That's not the aim of this message. I suggest it might not even be the aim of Romans 7. So I'm not doing an exposition. Exposition, by the way, is exposing the meaning of the chapter. I'm using Romans 7 to really draw out and try to teach us a few things about God's law. Now, it might seem a strange choice, if I want to get us more positive about God's law, to go from Romans 7, because it starts rather negatively about God's law. And let me just try to cover some of that by way of introduction. Verses 1 to 3 says God's law is a bit like this. A husband who tells his wife what to do, 
And what he tells her to do is not unreasonable. His demands are not unreasonable. But he never helps her do them. He never stirs up her love and motivates her. No, he's more likely to stir up annoyance. And actually he beats her if she fails to do what he says. What a bad husband. And Romans says the law is a bit like that husband. That's verses 1 to 3. And then verse 4 says, Christian, you've died to that husband. You've died to that husband and you're married to a better one, Jesus. He's your new husband. And he doesn't just tell you what to do. And he doesn't beat you for your failures. No, he's a quite different husband. Now, notice it says you died. It doesn't say the law died. It says you died to that old husband. It doesn't say the old husband has died. The law is still around. But, Christian, you've got a different relationship with it. Now you're in Christ. And notice it was a bad husband. That doesn't mean it was bad full stop. Someone could be a bad husband and good at other things. It is possible. And the law was a bad husband, but it is good at other things. So Romans 7 actually does tell us some positive things about God's law. That was all by way of introduction. What I want us to do is now have a look and see uh, three things that Romans 7 tells us about God's law. Again, remember, I'm not claiming I'm going to show you all that Romans 7 says, but here are three things it says about God's law. The first is, the law is good. Verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. And then again, verse 13. Did that which is good, then, become death to me? The law is good. To get this right, we have to stop and think, what's it good for? When I was, I suppose, about nine years old, I read my dad's car manual. And I found out what those little sticks by the steering wheel do, and what these other switches do, and what those pedals do. And I remember declaring to my family, I've read all the manual, and I understand it, and now I could drive the car. I did admit I didn't get these gears things. What are these gears about? Didn't get that. But apart from that, I'm sure that doesn't. Gears don't matter too much, do they? I thought they must be a little thing. I can drive the car. Could I drive the car? Of course I couldn't drive the car. I couldn't, my feet didn't even reach the pedals. The car manual is not good enough for me to drive. But it still is good. Don't, don't throw away the car manual. It's still a useful guide if used rightly. God's law is not good enough to change you, but it is still a useful guide if used rightly. The Ten Commandments show us the good life. They're not just a simplistic set of don'ts, don't do that, don't do that, are also simplistic and so negative. No, they are a thorough guide to what the good life is like. You can find that in the Old Testament. This book... I I waved this around last time. I don't know if I said what it's called. It's called Surprised by the Commandments by a chap called Graham Bynan. I found this a useful book. It's just quite a brief introduction. But one of its strengths is showing how the rest of the Old Testament law in those books of Moses expand on the Ten Commandments. 
and show that the Ten Commandments are not just a simplistic set of don'ts, but are realistic laws that take into account life's complexity and that give us a positive, this is what you should do in different situations. The law is good. The Old Testament shows us ways it's good. Of course, far more when you get to Jesus. You find out so much better. He shows up so much more clearly the good, full, positive meaning of the law. Uh, Let's just take one example. I'll just give you one example to try to persuade you. Our last home group, we were in the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Well, that sounds very simple, doesn't it? Even simplistic and just totally negative. You shall not murder. But if you look in Genesis to Deuteronomy, you get plenty of further explanation. You find out it's about valuing the image of God. You find out it includes taking care to do no harm to others. You find out it even includes thinking how our actions affect others' health and safety. But when you get to Jesus, you find so much more. You find the sixth commandment means that valuing others should restrain our anger, even if others don't get physically hurt by it. Should restrain our words. And not just negatively restrain them, but prompt speaking that is respectful to others and respectful about others. We find that the sixth commandment means working at reconciliation when relationships have got broken. That law is good, isn't it? And still very much needed here at Hollywell. We haven't moved beyond needing the sixth commandment, have we? I think there's evidence that we still need it. The law is good. Here's something that I've found helpful in connection with the law being good. A little illustration I heard that I have to admit I've pinched from someone else, but I found it helpful for just trying to get down deeper into my heart that the law is good. Do you know about Eve's twins? Eve's twins. Eve produced twins. They weren't identical twins. In fact, they look quite opposite. But they have strong similarities that they inherited from Adam and Eve. The twins' names are legalism and antinomianism. Now, they're not real people, they're attitudes to God's law. What are these fancy terms? Well, legalism is God isn't good, he's not really generous. If you're going to get anything good out of him, you've got to twist his arm and persuade him by obeying his law... And so he's got to be good to you because you've earned it from him, because you've obeyed his law. Antinomianism, the other twin, is not identical, looks opposite. Antinomianism is like this. God isn't good, so his laws are nasty and restrictive and out to spoil my joy. So I'll ignore them and push them aside. Now, those, those attitudes look opposite. But what was their similarity? What was the root behind them? It was the idea God isn't good, which is just what was going on with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. And humanity has inherited it from them. And we all have this tendency to either legalism or antinomianism or often a fatal combination of the two. 
behind is the attitude, God is not good, therefore his law is undesirable. But God is good, and his law is good. And here's a second thing from Romans chapter 7 about God's law. The law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. Now, the main meaning here, when it says the law is spiritual, the main meaning is it comes from the Spirit. In other words, it's from God. It's God's word. But it also tells us the law isn't just about externals. The law isn't just interested in do you do the right thing. The law isn't just about basic actions. I think it's really hard for us not to be affected by an attitude that's generally around us, which is... We in the 21st century are the sophisticated ones. And people in the past, they were, they were much more simple than us. And in the past, they lived in these traditional societies where it was just a matter of fit in, keep up appearances, do the thing that looks right. But we don't even understand, well, they weren't even aware of psychology, were they? They weren't too bothered what was going on inside. Just don't rock the boat. We're just concerned about how you appear on the surface. That's how, well, that's often the attitude today towards the past. What an arrogant attitude. But it can affect us and even our attitude towards the Old Testament. That simple Old Old Testament, just externals, just actions, not about the heart. Now that's wrong. You've misunderstood. And that's seen easily even if we just think about the Ten Commandments. Which commandment? Shows it up most obviously. Well, the tenth, you shall not covet. Interestingly, Paul says in verse 7 here, Romans 7 verse 7, he thought he was a pretty good chap. He looked good on the surface and was pretty confident in himself until the tenth commandment came to him and said, you're a coveter. And however good you look on the surface, that isn't good enough. Because God is concerned about the heart, not just actions. And you can see it's, if we move beyond the Ten Commandments to the Old Testament's explanation of them. What does the Old Testament say is the summary of those commandments? Love. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength. And all of your soul, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. God's law is concerned about what goes on in your heart. Don't underestimate Old Testament spirituality. But of course, when you get to Jesus, you find out so much more the spirituality of the law. Let's pick an obvious one, the seventh commandment. And what does Jesus tell us? It's not just do you physically commit adultery, it's a matter of the heart, it's a matter of the desires, even if you don't get opportunity to put them into physical practice. To put it another way, so Jesus is showing up the spirituality of the law, it always was spiritual, he's showing up more clearly. To put it another way, When you get to the New Testament, it's as if it shines a light into what was a dark but well-furnished room. Imagine you go into an old house like Quenby Hall. Do you know Quenby Hall? It's one of the grandest houses in Leicestershire. 
Now you go into this room and the shutters are across the windows. And, and in the dark you can feel that there are bookcases stacked with leather bound volumes. And you can feel a lush um, tapestry on the wall. And that there are ornate um, cabinets and rich sofas. And you can feel them, but you can't see very much. And then someone opens the shutters and lets the light in. And you get to see it's so much more impressive than you thought. The Old Testament is that richly furnished room. It really is rich. There's such a lot to get from it. And the New Testament is the light that allows us to see it more clearly. And it shows us more fully the law is spiritual. So we've had the law is good, and we've had the law is spiritual, but thirdly, the law is not enough. The law is not enough. Now, I've just picked there, out of Romans 7, two positives about the law. But it's in a chapter that it's mainly telling us the law is not enough. That's the main focus of Romans 7. It it sort of, by the way, tells us, but the law is good, don't make a mistake, and the law is spiritual, don't undervalue it, but the main message is, it's not enough. And it shows us that in a couple of ways. I'll try to illustrate them. Imagine you're feeling very ill, and you get a thermometer, and you've got a raging temperature. You take yourself to bed, and a friend comes around to see you, says, what medicine have you been taking? You say, well, I've been sucking this thermometer. I'm sucking it really hard. It's not doing much so far. (laughs) Silly person. The thermometer's not going to make you better, is it? The thermometer shows up that you've got a temperature, but it's not going to do anything to bring that temperature down. God's law is good for telling you you're a sinner, but it cannot make you better. That's the main message of Romans 7. That's... I think, encapsulated in one illustration, what just about the whole chapter's about. The law is very good for making, for showing you're a sinner, but it won't do anything for stopping you being a sinner. In fact, Romans 7 even pushes it further. It says, in the unregenerate, unregenerate is the person who's not born again, the law may even stir up sin. That's what's going on around verse 9. Verse 9, once I was alive, or at least I thought I was alive, apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. What's going on here? He says the law is good, and then he says, actually, the law stirred up some sin in me. Read on and you find he isn't claiming he wasn't a sinner before, but the law not only exposed his sin, it seemed to provoke some sin as well. It's a little like this. There's a man tied to a dog. And the dog is a vicious, dangerous dog. But the man likes the dog. And he pets the dog. And the dog is dangerous but sleepy. And so everything seems fine. And he quite likes this furry dog. And uh, he's pleased to have it around. And he doesn't realise how dangerous it is because it's half asleep. And it just opens an eye and looks up at him. And all seems fine. Until a voice comes to him saying, The dog is dangerous, kill the dog. And if he takes notice of that voice, well, he starts to try to kill the dog. What happens? The dog wakes up and it gives him a good old bite. And in fact, the dog starts to try to kill him. He tries to kill the dog because he now realises it's dangerous and he finds he can't. God's law can be like that. 
Not like the dog, the dog is our sin. And the law is the voice that comes saying, your sin is dangerous, kill it. You see, people away from God can seem pretty decent. Most of them are not spending their time raging against God and writing on blogs about how they hate God. Most of them aren't doing that. They're just leading what looks like a pretty decent, ordinary life. But when God's law comes to them and says, worship God and stop lusting and look at how self-absorbed you are and kill your sin, well then, that rouses the dog of sin. How dare you tell me what to do? I will do what I want. Why should I take any notice of a dusty set of laws from thousands of years ago? What's the harm in a bit of lust? Anyway, I'm not harming anyone. Do you see, their resistance to God's rule has been shown up by the voice of God's law that comes and says, that's sin and that's dangerous. Stop it. The law shows up sin, but it's not enough to cure us of our sin. And so Romans 7 is saying, look, the law is pushing you towards the good news. The law is exposing that you need something better. I wouldn't quite put it as you need to get out of Romans 7 into Romans 8, which is the way some people put it, but I think that's fairly near to what's going on. The law isn't good enough. What you need is, well, it's in chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to to the Spirit. Verse 3, there are things the law is powerless to do. And it's powerless to rid you of your guilt. It just can't do it. There's nothing in the law that can rid you of your guilt because the law shows up your guilt and the law condemns you as guilty. But, verse 3, Jesus came to do what the law was powerless to do. How? By offering himself as a sin offering. And so he took the law's condemnation so none of it falls on us. Do you see that? The law can't rid us of condemnation, it just condemns us. So Jesus came under the law, born under the law, taking the condemnation of the law in our place. So none of it falls on us. Ah, We need, well we do need to get out of Romans 7 into Romans 8, because if we didn't have Romans 8 and we just had chapter 7, it would just be despair. We need this, he came as a sin offering. Here's a picture I love of this. Have you read Pilgrim's Progress? I really recommend you read Pilgrim's Progress. There's a good version in the library in modern English but unabridged. That's what you need, modern English but unabridged. And I'm going from memory here, so I hope I'm going to get this right. I think it was faithful. Was uh, By the way, for those who don't know, it's an allegory. It's the Christian life as a journey. And there's this Christian called Faithful, if I've remembered rightly that it was him, and he'd sinned. And he'd been tempted and he'd really wanted that temptation. He goes on on his journey 
And there's a man who catches up with him and overtakes him and then turns round and knocks him to the ground. And then the man beats him and he struggles to get up and the man beats him down again. And the man just keeps on beating him down. And he keeps on beating him down until another man comes and tells the first man to stop and sends him away. And that second man who comes, faithful, says, I noticed he had nail prints in his hand. I hope I've remembered it rightly because I'm going from memory. You can tell me afterwards if I haven't quite got it right. But do you know who the two men are? Well, the second one is obvious, is Jesus. But the first one is Moses. In other words, representing the law that will beat you and beat you over your sin. But Jesus comes and he says, look, I've paid for it all. The law's condemnation has nothing to do with you. Clear off condemnation of the law. Yes, you're a good guide. Don't say clear off law, but clear off condemnation of the law. To adapt to him, I hope I'm allowed to adapt hymns. When God's law tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. God's law is to get us to Jesus because it shows us we need him. But Jesus didn't come just to give us the entry ticket to the Christian life. He didn't come just to let us off our sin and leave us in our sin. And so we get verse 4. We must take verse 3 and verse 4 together in Romans 8. Verse 4 is moving beyond verse 3. Verse 3 is Jesus came as an offering to deal with our guilt. Verse 4 is Jesus came to give the Holy Spirit to deal with our powerlessness and to enable us to overcome sin in practice. Jesus came to give the Holy Spirit. And what would the Holy Spirit do? Well, go back into the Old Testament and there was prophecy of a new covenant. And in that new covenant, what would the people of God be like? They would all have the Holy Spirit and they would all have God's law written on their hearts. In other words, God's law is still our guide But now the Holy Spirit gives us power to put the guide into practice. So we don't just have a set of rules on a church wall, do this and then condemning us. We have God's law in our heart. In other words, new desires and new strength from God because we're under a new master. The law is good. The law is spiritual. But the law isn't enough. So what does that mean you should do with the law? Let's end with this. What should we go now into this week and do with the law, given those three things? Well, don't dismiss it as if it's something we've moved beyond. Don't ignore it as if it's too simplistic for the 21st century. Don't undervalue it as if the Old Testament, that's unspiritual, and now we're spiritual. But rather study it. See how the Old Testament expands it and shows how it's actually sophisticated and positive. See how Jesus throws new light on that richly furnished room. See what a good guide for life God's commands are. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Then have God's law direct you to Jesus to thank him 
that he's taken all of its condemnation. So you don't have to. To rest secure that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And have God's law direct you to the Holy Spirit. Please give me more power. I keep falling for that sin. Give me strength. I find there's still some love of that sin in me. Please help me to kill it and replace it with love for my Saviour. Have the Lord direct you to God's Spirit.